MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 86 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It is Wednesday, September 7th, 2022. Unless you're a patron, and I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> uh, I am your host, Allison Gill. With me, as always, real-life lawyer and real-life friend, Andrew Torres. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Allison. How you doing? Oh, you know, woke up, got some coffee, read a pile of horse shit, and then uh, now I'm here with you. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is our lives now. <laughs> how are you? I have never read a more wrong and idiotic ruling from a judge seated on a federal bench in a, in a while. So it, 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 that is correct. And, and can I just do this as sort of our guide to why the hell are we here in the first place? So one of the things you do as a lawyer is you put your best rhetorical arguments kind of up front, you know, first page, first paragraph, I, I want to read you. This is page two, but this is the that's because the stuff immediately preceding that was all even more just sort of nonsense. This is what Donald Trump essentially led with in his omnibus nonsense unserved pleading that has now been granted by Judge Eileen Cannon, Federalist Society weirdo. So. From the first moment that the government informed movement, that's Donald Trump, through counsel that a search was underway, he demanded transparency. Movement, Donald Trump, asked the government the questions that any American citizen would ask under the circumstances. There are three of these. Hold on to your butts. Namely, one, why raid my home with a platoon of federal agents? when I have voluntarily cooperated with your every request. Okay. So we now know the answer to that. The answer is because no, you fucking didn't. You deliberately withheld on multiple occasions, dozens of boxes of information, first responsive to the archives request, and then responsive to the subpoena that was voluntarily negotiated by and between the Department of Justice and your lawyers, despite the fact that your lawyers signed off on a certification that said no more responsive documents remain and then handed over an envelope while moving dozens of boxes in and out of a tool shed at a golf course. Okay. So that's the answer to question one. Why raid your home? Because we tried on three occasions to ask nicely and you lied. Okay. That's and question we got a, we got a warrant. Right, right, right. With the, yeah, and, and legally, yeah, well, that's almost incidental, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number two. 
What are you trying to hide from the public, given that you requested that I turn off all home security cameras and even refuse to allow my attorneys to observe what your agents were doing? Two answers here. A, that seems like mostly nonsense. But B, what are we trying to hide? The fact that we're building a criminal case against you and you intimidate witnesses. That's been demonstrated over and over again. That was made as an official finding by Magistrate Judge Reinhardt, who granted the search warrant. So, yeah, guess what happens when there's criminal investigation ongoing? Stuff gets hidden from the public. You don't like it? Don't commit fucking crimes. Okay. And and (laughs) we're also hiding it because of your constitutional rights. My friend. Yep. Uh, yep. We, we, that is that is the the uh, please continue. That's the Allison argument. And I love that you make this argument. You're an uncharged person. And if we come out and say, you know, uh, attest to the fact that you committed crimes without charging you yet, uh, <laughs> uh, that that's a violation of, of your rights, privacy and constitutional rights. And and so that, you know, because and Mueller pointed this out. In his thing, why he didn't say Donald obstructed justice is because he was uncharged. Not in that scenario, he was uncharged because of the OLC memo saying you can't charge a sitting president. But either way, you're uncharged. And if we come out and say you committed a crime or allege that you committed a crime, um, you don't have that. That takes away your right to face your accuser in court. So just throwing that in there. Yep, absolutely. And number three. Why have you refused to tell me what you took from my home? Well, the answer to that is, no, we haven't. So so those are the reasons you said you got to pick these. Your lawyer put it in your pleading on page two as this is what we're here. So as we go through this insane ruling from Judge Eileen Cannon, Federalist Society weirdo, I want you to know, okay, that each and every point that Donald Trump made in his initial filing, which, again, not a law thing, should have been kicked back with the instructions, don't write this in crayon and get a grown-up, okay? But it wasn't, and we could talk about that. Um, well, that's because the Federalist Society weirdo Judge Eileen Cannon writes in crayon and isn't a grown-up. Oh, it, 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 it is... So... There is no there is no relief to be done. There is nothing left to do. But conceptually, the larger philosophical moral principles that Donald Trump said he was here to vindicate have all been answered. And and, and I want to take that, that that last point that you make. And I know we're still in the introduction, but I it does it gives me considerable pain, no pleasure and considerable pain to have to put an asterisk next to members of the federal bench. Right. right. But but I have some sympathy. I know folks on the left piled on and I get it and I understand why, you know, when uh, John Roberts said, you know, hey, they are not Trump judges and Obama judges. There are federal judges. I I, 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 I get why people push back at that. Um I'm there. I'm the I'm the I'm the target audience, right? I am the fastball down the middle for that pitch, okay? Or the whatever, right? You, <laughs> I, do whatever the metaphor is, right? I want to believe that. I have practiced in front of Trump judges. I have won in front of Trump judges. Um there are some to And who, we've gotten reasonable rulings from Kelly and Dabney yep. Friedrich and and even Trevor McFadden. Uh yep. and and even in some cases Judge Nichols who was the one who said that, you know, 1512C2 can't be used in in J6 cases. But but this is just beyond the pale. Some, some, um, sometimes you look at it and go this is either someone who who lacks serious 
credentials to serve on the bench and or whose partisan hackery is so great uh, that you you can't that they are there to reach a predetermined outcome and not to adjudicate the law. And, you know, Naomi Rao, Justin Walker, and you can add to that Eileen Cannon. Uh, yep. it, it, it And unless there is a sea change in this country, right, unless we we take three quarters of the legislature and, you know, who knows when we hit rock bottom on this, maybe there will be that level of backlash. Um, but it, but unless and until we hit that point, th- these people are serving lifetime appointments. So all we can do is call them out. I know if I were teaching law school, I would just say, yeah, look, um, as we are understanding the theory of the law. Something comes from one of these Trump appointees. You just got to you got to look beneath the surface. And sometimes the answer is, oh, uh, Na- Naomi Rao is just a hack. Right. Yeah. Justin Walker's just a hack. Eileen Cannon, just a hack. There's your explanation. So yes. with sometimes all that, that's in mind. the answer. Yes. Uh, with all that in mind, when I said, unless you're a patron, it's Wednesday, September 7th, we are going to be releasing this episode on uh, the night of September 5th to patrons. And if you're not a patron, Ooh. you can become one. At patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod, A-I-S-L-E 45 P-O-D for as little as a buck an episode. And we have some new patrons this week. We do indeed. Getting in uh, under the gun here. Whole bunch. Uh, we have thank you to Patrick, to Adam Remesnik, Alfred in South Carolina, Lisa Wren, Johnson, NC65, Shawnee Fagan, Dennis Chen, Matthew Keener, Janine with a G. Love that spelling. Joel Parrish, Nancy Wall, J.A. John, Amanda Horn, Amy Bedard, Annie Harsh, Kirkland J. Bateman, Sue Vincent, Taronga Leela. <laughs> nice, great Futurama shout out there. Jessica Bang, Chris Deloge, Sean McNamee, Michael Bernard. Thank you all so much for supporting the show again. Uh, patreon.com slash aisle 45 pi a-i-s-l-e-4-5 p-o-d not that anybody smart enough to listen to the show would need to have that spelled out for them and, well just uh, in case you know yeah, we didn't spell know. the numbers out and yeah. uh you know just that's true just, that's true yeah just clarifying there um so i want to get into this uh, ruling uh bit by <laughs> Me bit too. But, f- but first i i just want to say that while this may delay uh the investigation I think it's going to be concurrently delayed by the fact that the DOJ does not take overt investigative steps 60 days prior to an election. And so I'm hoping this delay runs concurrently with that already good delay that we should be seeing uh, and that it won't actually delay delay uh, anything. But, you know, again, we'll see. But I just want to throw that out there while this is absolutely the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. And it is his, you know mo to just delay 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 we already sort of have a delay going on in the background and hopefully they'll cancel each other out and it'll be a wash but we'll see it will delay their work either way um but i just wanted to bring that up before we dive in i i I agree entirely i would add on top of it that this is a a a (laughs) time this is an already reviewed tiny fraction of the materials that the DOJ needs to indict Donald Trump in the event that they needed to go to a grand jury right now and get an indictment. I mean, you or I could do that, right? Like there, there is sufficient evidence. We had the ruling come out in uh, John Eastman's case, again, civil ruling. Uh, but you know, we, <laughs> there was an independent judge convinced 
that there was probable cause to believe that Donald Trump and John Eastman had committed crimes in connection with uh, that, 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 that the more likely than not that there was sufficient evidence that they had committed crimes in connection with with one six. So, y- yes, this is how I balance. Somebody asked us this. They tagged both of us on on Twitter this morning. They like. How do you reconcile as angry as you are and as bad as this is with, you know, what you and I both said last week, which is that this is not going to stop the freight train. And that's how I balance it. Right. Like it's not stopping the train. Right. That that is going full speed ahead. Um, If 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 the folks at DOJ are human the way I am, this might even spur them on a bit. Right. Like because (laughs) this is such dirty pool. Death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. Right? <laughs> That's so good. Now, um, I want to talk about the, the, the we, you and I have talked about this, and I've asked you about this on several occasions. So you seeing as I'm not a lawyer, yep. but now I am, I'm quite aware of the, I guess, judicial order of operations when discussing or, you know, when considering filings, when considering pleadings or whatever, and that you have to discuss jurisdiction and standing before you even get to the merits. And so that is actually addressed first. In 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 this ruling, Gee, this bonkers ruling. I'm but, sorry, I love but she, she says pursuant to the court's equitable jurisdiction and inherent supervisory authority, and mindful of the need to ensure at least the appearance of fairness and integrity under extraordinary circumstances presented, plaintiff's motion is granted in part. So basically, what she's saying is, under jurisdiction that I don't have, and pursuant to my feelings, I'm granting Donald's motion. <laughs> <Is> that- <laughs> You you are not misreading this. And 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 let me we've talked about subject matter jurisdiction here before, but I, I want to emphasize this because understanding and unpacking how lawless a ruling this is, I think, requires a little bit of explanation. So our we have two different court systems in this country. We have a state court system. Those state courts are courts of general jurisdiction. And so if I live in Maryland and you live in Maryland and we sign a contract or there's something I don't like about you, then I can go sue you in the Maryland courts and they will have personal jurisdiction over you because you're a resident of Maryland and they will have subject matter jurisdiction because that's what courts do. They resolve disputes between citizens. That's what state courts do. Federal courts are courts of limited jurisdiction. That limited jurisdiction means defined by the Constitution to only hear certain things. Our system was set up. The founding fathers, whom all of these Federalist Society weirdos claim to revere so heavily, was set up to say, hey, man, in general, if you've got a dispute, you take that to a state court. What can you take to a federal court? Well, let's read this. This is Article 3, Section 2 of the Constitution. And it says, The judicial power shall extend to all cases in law and at equity, arising under the Constitution, the laws of the United States and treaties made, or which shall be made or their authority, to cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, that's three, four, to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction, Five, to controversies to which the United States is a party. Six, to controversies between two or more states. Seven, between a state and citizens of another state. Eight, between citizens of different states. Nine, between citizens of the same state claiming lands under grants of different states. And ten, between a state or the citizens thereof and foreign states, citizens or subjects 
And then there's some stuff about where the Supreme Court gets original jurisdiction. But those 10 things are the only cases that a federal court are allowed to hear. Okay. Um, so how does this case not fall under those 10 things? It, 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 so. Um, or does it? It, it, it? it very clearly does not. <laughs> um, but in the interpretation of some of those principles of jurisdiction, and by the way, that th this is why they're considered courts of statutory jurisdiction. That's the grant that is set out in the Constitution. And then it's up to Congress to specify exactly what that means. And so Congress can do things like create maritime and admiralty courts and be like, hey, man, uh, all you guys can do is hear maritime and admiralty cases. Right. Um, that's why Congress established the Judiciary Act. That's why Congress can increase the size of the Supreme Court or the number of sitting federal judges or any of that stuff. That's how our separation of powers works. So in order to get into federal court, you must have a specific grant of Congress to do a thing, except some doctrines have kind of arisen along the way. And let me give you a very, very common example of how federal courts get jurisdiction over cases that maybe the, the framers, I think, probably would have been opposed to this. And that is Suppose you have one count in an eight count complaint that involves a federal claim, and then you have seven state law counts that go along with it. That federal claim is very clearly authorized by the Constitution, right? So you could remove it to federal court. You could litigate that federal claim. But suppose common issues of fact predominate over that federal claim. Let's say it's a federal uh, copyright claim, right? And then you also have common law, copyright and defamation and publication of embarrassing facts and all of that other stuff. And so federal courts have have created a doctrine called supplemental jurisdiction. And they've said, you know what? And, and again, codified by Congress that says, OK, if you're here and we get the case because there's a there's a clear grant of federal jurisdiction, we can exercise supplemental jurisdiction over your non-federal claims because it, it seems kind of dumb to break this in half and have two courts working at the same time trying to figure out the same set of facts. We want to keep those determinations together so that, you know, among other things, we don't have the courts come to differing conclusions, right? Like, could you imagine the federal court says, yes, you did infringe the copyright. And then the state court is like, well, without ruling on the federal claim, we think it's unlikely you infringe the copyright here. So we're going to rule X, right? That would be a mess. So you keep it together. These are examples of how, you know, courts will sometimes strain to keep a case even where it doesn't necessarily fit within those enumerated 10 things. And that, and I realized that's a little bit of background, uh, but that is the background to anomalous jurisdiction, okay? And it, it has the word anomalous in it because it shouldn't happen very often because it doesn't really fit into any of those categories. But it, but it goes something like this. It says, look, there are times where you have a particular constitutional right in particular, a, a, a right under Rule 41G of the Rules of Criminal Procedure to have stuff that is wrongfully taken from you returned to you. But the problem is Rule 41G is a criminal procedure case. And if it's pre-indictment, if you haven't been indicted yet, you can't rely on 41G to get it back. Yeah. So in cases like that, even though it's pre-indictment. And even though, I, you know, maybe we haven't quite figured out what, where the, the jurisdictional basis is, the court can exercise a kind of 
anomalous jurisdiction rooted in equity to help you get that back. But go what's ahead. weird is she doesn't talk about anomalous jurisdiction here. She doesn't even go there. She says that there's equitable jurisdiction here. But the DOJ argued that there is no equitable jurisdiction over inequitable acts. And she even in her minute order saying, why the fuck are you here? What do you want? What are you doing? Said, hey, do you have any uh, arguments about uh, equitable or anomalous jurisdiction? Yep. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. And uh, they didn't <laughs> argue anomalous jurisdiction. And that, I think, put her in this corner where she has to come out and say that there's equitable jurisdiction. And her arguments for why there's equitable jurisdiction in this in this case are the fucking dumbest thing I've ever read in my life. It, 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 it is it is bonkers. So you are 100 percent correct. Uh, the, what I would add is anomalous is a subset of equitable jurisdiction, right? Like an equitable jurisdiction just means like we should have this right to 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 do equity as opposed to doing law is to do the right thing, right? To give somebody relief because we think they deserve it, notwithstanding the fact that they may or may not have a, a precise legal entitlement to it. Um, again, something to think about when you are reading the manifestos of these Federalist Society weirdos talking about how the only thing that matters is what the text of the law meant exactly in 1792. Um, no, as it turns out, like we have a rich system dating back in all of the constitutional history that they claim to revere of saying, yeah, you know what? Like, courts fundamentally should do justice. And sometimes when you got a huge country and you have lots of cases, there's situations that seem to fall through the cracks. So this is a subset of equitable jurisdiction. You are 100% correct. She doesn't call it anomalous jurisdiction because she does not want to embarrass how stupidly, horribly badly this has been pled. Um, she, Judge Cannon, goes to the right case, right? Uh, again, there are subsequent cases that is this uh, where she cites the Ritchie factors. Yes, so this yeah. is Ritchie she, versus she, Smith. <laughs> yeah, she, go ahead. He, she, she says, "Look, look, look! I know I'm stupid and wrong, and uh, here's exactly why. But I'm going to rule this way anyway." She cites the four Ritchie factors. Can you tell us, because you were just about to, what are the Ritchie factors and how they help determine whether or not she has jurisdiction here? Sure. And, and, and I want to add right before that, literally in the sentence before the, the citation to Richie, a, a canon's opinion says, though somewhat convoluted, this filing is procedurally permissible, footnote seven, and creates an action in equity. What is footnote seven? Footnote seven refers to rule 41G of the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure. So she knows this, right? Anomalous jurisdiction was meant to address rule 41 motions. A rule 41 motion is not procedurally appropriate in this case because this is not a criminal case. How do we know it's not a criminal case? Because you can look up she the goddamn so. caption and it she says 22-81294-CIV. That she, means... Yeah, she, she cites she cites rule what what fifty three. Yep, which uh, is for civil cases. Yeah, it, it is interchangeably like uh, like a bad law student who does not understand the difference between rule fifty three b one of the Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, which does in fact apply in this civil proceeding, and citing and again hiding it in the footnote because you know you are shoehorning this into something that does not fit. And she even she even goes on to say, well, you know, 41G used to be 41E, which, yep. which doesn't have any 
bearing on any of this. The the reason you flag that in a footnote is because some of the because because Richie is a case from 1975, and so sometimes the earlier cases will say you know a 41e proceeding does X, and the fact okay, that okay, so now, wait, so this has been around for fucking 50 years, yeah, almost. 57 40 years, yeah, 47 <laughs> years, and. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I know because I was born yeah. in 19. I know how old I am. Uh. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and so she, it's been around so long. Does she have any citations? Because, well, first of all, let's talk about this. Yeah. Because she admits, she, she admits that this case doesn't meet all of the Richie factors. <laughs> she, she's only going to rely on the ones that she wants to rely on. And she concedes Donald failed to meet the first factor, callous disregard for constitutional rights. She she concedes that. She says, with respect to this, there's not been a compelling showing of callous disregard for his constitutional rights. This factor cuts against the exercise of equitable jurisdiction. Uh, and then she decides that Donald does meet the second factor, even though he does not, <laughs> uh, and makes the argument that he has a need for some of the stuff. You know, you need to have a need for it. She's dividing up some of the records, because apparently there were medical records in there, and well, he needs those, so he needs them all. So they, that applies to everything. And first of all, <laughs> she's going through these factors. She concedes that they don't meet them all. She does say you don't have to meet them all, um, uh, but she can't cite a case where it went forward without meeting them all. And she also, I, I mean... They didn't. Trump's lawyers didn't argue any of these. No, no, they did not. So, um, okay, a little bit of background. Wouldn't you wouldn't if you were a judge, wouldn't you say, you know, hey, I've seen a lot of judges rule in Trump cases, like, you know, especially in the election cases. Maybe you meant this and this and this, but you didn't argue it. And so tough shit. I I mean, isn't that normally how that's supposed to go? Uh, Yes, that is normally how that is supposed to go. So, for example, the United States, the DOJ in its opposition, right, points out that in order to get the return of your property under Rule 41G, uh, you have to satisfy uh, the Richie test, right? And I will tell you uh, that these kinds, so a couple of things kind of going behind the scenes. From the 1970s to the 1990s, it was very commonplace for courts and particularly for the Supreme Court, right? Judge Sandra Day O'Connor was uh, probably the, the, the most vocal proponent of having balancing tests to describe when you got to vindicate your rights. And so what you would say is, look, You get this right when, and sometimes the lists were exhaustive and sometimes the lists were illustrative, right? Uh, So a good example, one that's going to come up is in order to get injunctive relief, right? You would say the factors the court will consider are likelihood of success on the merit, irreparable harm to the movement, the balance of equities and the public interest. That's exactly right. And so what that means is you consider all of them. You understand some may cut one way, some may cut the other, but it allows a court to, to undertake kind of a case by case basis. 
the case law developing would will say, you know, for example, with injunctive relief, that demonstrating irreparable harm is the most important factor and demonstrating your likelihood of success on the merits is the second most important factor. So, uh, you know, you then you use yeah, the others weighted. in in close yeah. cases. That's exactly right. And the the more irreparable harm in many jurisdictions, right, the more we sort of let it slide on the other factors. That kind of So that's how courts will employ a balancing test. I so not necessarily meeting all of them, right. but but she gets it wrong. Yeah, and she not only does she should she get so this is an illustrative list. So we we should be clear, right? This is not to say you must prove all four factors. Okay, and those factors are let's let's uh, the 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 opinion does not do a good job of this. So I'm going to read from the case. Um, the four factors under Ritchie are one, whether the movement shows that government agents, quote, displayed a callous disregard for constitutional rights. Put a pin in that. Two, whether the movement has an interest in and need for the material he seeks. Three, whether he would be irreparably injured by denial of the property. And four, whether he has an adequate remedy at law for his grievance. OK, so that's what the case says. I have not found I have done a pretty good search this morning any case applying Ritchie, understanding that it's a it's it's a demonstrative list in which there was no demonstration of that first factor. Right. In other words, the reason for equitable jurisdiction here is we have a compelling situation of inequity. That is, the government has callously disregarded your constitutional rights and callous disregard is one of the right. Like they, they didn't just throw in those adjectives to make themselves sound cool. Right. Like that is to say you have to show more than just ordinary violation of your civil rights, right? You have to show that the government was aware of your constitutional rights, didn't care, and violated them anyway. And yeah, yeah. as this court notes, not only no demonstration of that, no, no notion made to argue that, I mean, just nothing. Yeah, right? and, l and let me point out, uh, you know, the judge, as, as we said, concedes that there's no callous disregard uh, for constitutional rights against Donald. But in the hearing, which we have the transcript for, <laughs> Jim Trusty, lawyer for Trump, was asked because the DOJ said, look, they haven't even argued irreparable harm. We don't we can't answer their argument to irreparable harm because they didn't argue it. So the judge says, well, OK, Jim Trusty, what about irreparable harm? What is it? And he's like, well, you know, in the mountains of Virginia, they can be blue sometimes. And I like cheese. And she's like, look, listen, answer my question. She she. She pushed him into a corner to answer it. What is the irreparable harm? And he says, now, I can I, can I characterize the harm in some sort of precise way? No. But I don't want to forget the institutional harm of taking this bad, bad, crap. Like, he, he not only doesn't argue it, he argues that he has no basis for proving irreparable harm do i have any no but i think donald trump is beautiful you know i mean it's just the, it's the weirdest thing and then she goes ahead and rules on this irreparable harm anyway it, it is I, it's i know it's, you're speechless I know. I no, i literally am rendered speechless because again take these four factors the court says the most important one Right. The demonstration of the basis for equitable jurisdiction in the first place. Is there an inequity? No. All right. So move on. Then take the third one. Is there irreparable harm to the to the move ant here? Right. To Donald Trump. 
Your own lawyers have not made that argument. Why have they not made that argument? The, the same reason that they filed this pleading as nonsense in the beginning, and that is what you would do. Look, there is no need for this to be like, as Judge Cannon uh, rather dryly notes, uh, an unorthodox procedural procedure. Like, like there is a super easy way that the dumbest lawyer in America could have filed this case properly. And mm-hmm. that is you file it as a civil Bivens action. You argue that the government has violated Donald Trump's constitutional rights uh, by and through the illegal search, quote unquote, illegal search at Mar-a-Lago. You argue, and, you argue anomalous jurisdiction. And, 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 and uh, well, no, you don't even have to, because now you would have an original action, right? You would say, okay. right. I am suing the federal agents under six federal agents versus Bivens. That's the federal equivalent of 1983, right? I'm suing them in civil court for the violation of my rights, right? And related to that, I am filing a Rule 65 motion for a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction to have them stop the ongoing violation of my rights. That's what every lawyer in America who is competent, how they would have pled this case, right? You file an original civil action, you file a motion for a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction. We have a lot of lawyers who listen. I invite them to tell me that I'm wrong on this because they know I'm right. Now... (laughs) The reason you don't do that is because Rule 65 requests for TRO are typically accompanied by an affidavit from a witness that testifies as to what the irreparable harm is. The anything anybody could put in that affidavit would be perjury. And Jim Trustee knows it and Evan the Cork knows it. And I don't know what Christina Bob knows, so I'm not going to insinuate that. But they deliberately didn't do it that way, not because these people are idiots. Jim Trustee has been litigating these cases for th- longer than you've been alive. OK, yeah. Um, He is not an idiot. He is dumb like a fox in this case, because this way he has now procured injunctive relief on behalf of his client without having to file an affidavit and without having to file something that he knows would be perjury with the court. All he's done is attorney argument. And guess what? Attorney argument can't be perjury. I can go in and I can say that idiotically stupid shit that he said on page two of their initial brief. The, I didn't understand why you would want to raid my home with a platoon of federal agents. I can can know that that is nonsense and I cannot be sued for that. I cannot be held liable for that. I, I, I I can't be held criminally liable for that because it's argument in court. And that's where we have gotten, we have put nothing but argument in front of Judge Cannon and Judge Cannon has turned around and somehow spun that into injunctive relief for the president, the former president of the United States. And it is um, one one may infer how I feel about this from the tone of voice. Uh, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm as angry. Yeah, you know, I'm literally angry with rage. So okay. now I have a question for you. OK. Yes. One of the things Donald Trump was asking for was he wanted his stuff back. I want my stuff back. Uh, oh, DOJ has a great argument. It's not your stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can have it back. But she says in this ruling, um, she's not going to decide today whether he can have stuff back. She says that remains for another day. What other day? What the fuck? <laughs> this is so dumb. <laughs> this is just so dumb. Like what? She did, like is she saying? Once we see what the special master comes up with, I'll make that ruling. She doesn't even explain 
why she's not ruling. Usually a judge tells you, I'm not ruling on this today because of this and this, and here's when I'll rule on it when I get this and this. She doesn't do that. She just said, that's just for another day. It, it, it is it it demonstrates the house of cards that that is this order so yes that is correct paragraph five of the order says the court reserves ruling on plaintiff's request for return of property pending further review and we have no idea what that means review uh, of the latest batman movie uh, uh, it, it 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 could be right like there, <laughs> there are multiple reviews that are going on as contemplated within this order itself the special master has not been assigned uh, has not been chosen. Their duties have not been uh, set forth. And um, it is not clear from the order that the special master's job is to review the material that has already been segregated, right? And the the property itself for appropriateness, right? Like this is this is here, like the special master has been set aside to review for Attorney-client privilege and executive privilege, and both of those are insane. But the only good arguments that Trump has, right, are, hey, are, are sort of the equivalent of the passport stuff, right? The, hey, you've said this is all presidential records, but... You've also conceded that, like, I have so thoroughly, and this is a crime, uh, I have so thoroughly committed a crime by intermingling my personal stuff with your presidential records that maybe there's some personal stuff out there, right? And and again, the the reason that it has to that that this court has to engage in subterfuge is because that happens with search warrants all the time well, yeah, stuff considered gets evidence. swept up and that's exactly right and, and and it's and it's it's laid out in the search warrant that that's okay to take yes and and and, and let us be very very clear right the cases involving 18 usc 793 e and f uh 793f by the way being the statute under which they wanted to lock up hillary clinton for passing sensitive emails through a private server, right? Those cases, the kinds of cases in which people actually do get locked up are commingling cases, right? They're cases in which some clown at the Air Force grabs a folder of highly confidential documents and mixes it in with his personal stuff and doesn't give it back. There are real, I've read each and every one of these are 246 of these cases. I've read them all. They're the cases we've talked about on here and on my show of, eh, I just threw a bunch of top secret stuff in the dumpster rather than shred it, right? Eh, I went off for a bender with my college buddy in Alaska and left a folder in uh, a desk drawer that's shared by three people at ExxonMobil. Uh, and then they found, you know, these sensitive documents commingled with their normal stuff. So, yes, absolutely. The, the, the fact of commingling is a, a relevant criminal fact to establish liability under mishandling of documents related to the national defense, 18 U.S.C. 793 ENF. So 100% that is evidence to which the government is entitled to take. Okay, so she, she makes up jurisdiction uh, out of pretty much whole cloth just yep. by getting it wrong on the Ritchie factors. Yep. Then she goes into standing <laughs> and she says, department of justice. Well, well, let's just talk about what the, what the DOJ argued. They, they say you don't have standing because you don't own the stuff right. that, that you stole. Uh, the judge actually argues that because he's asking for a special master, he's not actually contending that he owns the stuff. <laughs> but you need 
to prove that you own the stuff to have standing. She she t- talk about her possessory interest argument here because I can't maybe I'm not dumb enough to pick up what she's putting down. I don't I don't get her argument. I I don't think this is any fault on your part. And so. I'm not insinuating you're dumb enough to pick it up. I, I what I'm I saying is I have read you, a lot of dumb pleadings you, in my you life. You understand so. the legalese yeah. a little bit better than I do. Uh yeah. but from from where I'm sitting, you can't say just because he didn't say he owns the stuff, that doesn't mean that he does. I I don't I don't, I don't it, know. it 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 is bonkers. So I love the way you described kind of the filter that a court, a normal court with a real judge would go through in deciding, hey, can I adjudicate this case at all? Right. And the very first question you ask is, is there subject matter jurisdiction? And one of the things I didn't emphasize on that, but will emphasize now is this is one of those things that is so important to the court that you can't waive it and the court can raise it of its own right sua sponte, even if both parties concede to jurisdiction. If the court is later like, yeah, you know what? Oh, I just realized I have no subject matter jurisdiction here. By the way, case is gone. So that's why you start with jurisdiction. Then you move to standing. And this is the there must be a live case or controversy, right? Courts don't decide. Federal courts don't decide advisory opinions. You can't just go to them and be like, hey, man, uh, what do you think about abortion? Right. Like you have to have somebody who's (laughs) about to have an abortion and get prosecuted under a statute in order to have standing. Right. A live case or controversy. I'm about to have something bad happen to me. Right. And I, yep. I'm reminded of the, the Texas uh, and uh, 17 attorneys general case against Pennsylvania and some other swing states where the court ruled you don't have standing here yep. uh, because you're Texas uh, <laughs> and you can't come in and, and get my opinion on how Pennsylvania should run its elections. So be gone. You have no power here. Right. And again, this is a doctrine that conservatives in particular have leaned on very, very heavily because the federal courts are courts of limited jurisdiction. They are special creations and uh, they're grotesquely overworked. Right. So looking for ways to say, hey, this is cool and all, but you don't belong in federal court is a thing that courts have been doing left, right and center, but mostly right and center over the past 50 years. Right. And before that, since our nation's inception, but they've only really been crucially overworked over the last 50 years. So, um, The other half of that, right? Like, so in addition to have standing, not only must you have that kind of case or controversy and, and, and that, and that means you can say, here's the wrong that's been done to me, but, and this is, this is the hardest part I think for people to understand. You also have to say, and this court has the power to make it right. Right. And so for example, um, this, this came up, um, throughout the Trump presidency, right? Like you might say, um, I think Donald Trump is violating the uh, emoluments clause of the Constitution, right? By stealing stuff and not getting congressional approval. 
What's the injury to me? Well, we looked around and found like, okay, is it members of Congress who get the opportunity to vote on whether he's stolen stuff? Is it, you know, jurisdictions like uh, Baltimore and Washington, D.C. that have uh, interests in Trump not, you know, diverting uh, foreign diplomats to make them stay at his hotel as opposed to choosing some of the other hotels, right? This is an actual case, by the way. Yeah, those are these are these are all real cases that went through. But but one of the areas where most of those cases and I'm and I'm speaking broadly here, we've talked about all of these, foundered was the question of okay, assume that you do have kind of a cognizable injury, is this the kind of thing that a court can fix? Right. And there was pretty good argument on, on the Donald Trump side that that derailed a lot of these cases that said, you know what, even if you do Violation of the emoluments clause, like the the remedy is impeach the president who's stealing, right? The remedy is not allow them to go to court, right? Like, are we going to give you money or right? Like, it's just not clear. So I, I use those by reference to point out that standing requires that the court be able to redress your injury, because that gets to your question of how can the court redress an injury if the injury requires you to, under Rule 41G, return property in which someone has, quote, a colorable ownership, possessory or security interest in at least a portion of the property. And and by the way, property there meaning that they, they included actually in the brackets, the seized property. Right? In other words, it's not good enough to say I own Mar-a-Lago and you stole stuff from Mar-a-Lago. You have to say the stuff you stole arguably belongs to me and the president can't assert that. And what follows that <laughs> is I, 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 I'm, I'm going to read a little bit of it, but. Um, oh, is this the part where she argues Donald doesn't have to prove he owns the documents? He only has to think that he does. Although the government argues that plaintiff Donald Trump has no property interest in any of the presidential records seized from his residence because he doesn't. Right. And that is as clear as Kushner from 22, uh, 44 USC 2202. Right. Presidential records are property of the United States to be administered by the archivist. Right. That position calls for an ultimate judgment on the merits as to those documents and their designations. That sentence means nothing and was like vomited up from her word. Designations like what the national security classification, like I don't even know what that means. OK, <laughs> these are presidential records. It requires no judgment on the merits as to those documents. But and she's saying, no, I get to judge whether or not he owns. Them. No, no, you don't. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's that's not saying. the way it goes. Um, and, and she and she goes on later to talk about, you know, a jur- uh, uh, that the merits of the case that he's likely to win when we talked about injun- when we talk about injunctive relief which we'll get to but she actually says that he could win on the merits it, it, it's it's bonkers it it there is no relief so 41g again is meant to return improperly seized materials during the execution of a search warrant there is no criminal case so rule 41g does not apply here so when the court says this is sufficient to satisfy the standing request for the rule 41 G request. Remember we're not in criminal. We're not in a criminal court. No, it's right? not. Yeah, yeah, you can't. It, yeah. it is not. We are already applying it by implication through anomalous jurisdiction, which the court concedes it ought not to execute. And we've now hit the point where the relief that you would, to which you would be entitled is not the relief that Trump seeks here. 
that's why this order makes no sense. So <laughs> I, it, it is just there is there is one good argument kind of buried within that, and that is the like he does have a possessory interest in the non-presidential records that have been commingled. But again, the answer to that is the answer you gave earlier, which is not anymore. You don't cause that's evidence of a crime. Once you have commingled your personal stuff with property of the United States, that is that, that uh, quote relates to the national defense end of quote, that is evidence of 18 USC 793 ENF. So that this is just bonkers. Um, can, can, <laughs> and we're not at the worst part yet. <laughs> yeah, we haven't even gotten there <laughs> to the to the worst part. So uh, tell me, OK, she says, hey, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, even though Department of Justice did everything right, this is her. This is now we're getting into the discussion of an appointment of uh, appointment of a special master. So she she does this backwards law bending on standing and it doesn't make any sense. So then she says, hey, even though the DOJ did everything right, the fact that their filter team did their job and found stuff that, that needs to be returned, that means they can't be trusted. So we need a third party to come verify their their contention. Um, uh, talk about this a little bit because I, I'm, I'm very confused as to her rationalization for the need of a special master when the department of justice and their filter team did everything right. And the filter team only applies to shit with respect to attorney client privilege, not executive privilege. But she's saying that because the filter team, which was looking for executive privilege, found some privileged stuff and is going to return it, that they can't be trusted about any of the rest of the documents and therefore a special master needs to go through all of them, but somehow not interfere with the national security risk assessment that's happening at the Office of Director of National Intelligence. I'm I'm beyond confused. You should be beyond confused because this is the kind of thing that even a Federalist Society weirdo should have thrown out. So let's put this in context. Trump, in his briefs, repeatedly made the Peter struck Lisa Page argument. The the FBI has always hated me and they've always treated me unfair. I mean, literally cited to those those individuals uh, and and rehashed that far right Breitbart vomit level of garbage of you can't trust the FBI. And rather than saying, sir, this is a Wendy's right that this is this judge said uh, even if the DOJ filter teams often pass procedural muster, they're not always perceived to be impartial as special masters. Concerns about the perception of fair process are heightened here when uh, the privilege review team and the investigation team contain members from the same section within the same DOJ division, even if separated for direct reporting purposes on the specific matter. By the way, that is nonsense. Right. That is just and, and the citation that is listed here is just the quote. Prosecutors have a responsibility to not only see that justice is done, but also ensure that justice appears to be done. That is not how screens work. I know I've been in big firms. I've been in small firms. Nobody has ever suggested. Well, you know, like you've screened off Andrew from this matter, but like he's partners with Cy, who's also working on the matter. So what kind of a screen is that? And the answer is an ethical screen, because I don't lie about my job, 
right? That, that and to presume that the DOJ would be—I I, I don't know—that that they and that the FBI reviewing these materials, I, I don't know, because it's your buddy because he sits in the office next year's is just you cannot cite a case, you cannot make an argument, you have to use these sort of, uh, you know, breathy, airily vague statements because. This is a garbage argument. It was made to appeal to the worst of Trump's base. And the fact that Judge Cannon didn't fire it out of a fucking howitzer uh, instead of granting it is just part of why my rage sustains this show. Can we talk about executive privilege? (laughs) Yeah, I absolutely want to talk about executive privilege, but I need to bring something up because you were talking a little bit about conflicts of interest, right, that that, that don't (laughs) exist. And, And something that happened in the hearing that I thought was absolutely... Uh, hilarious slash sad was uh, Jim Trusty said, look, we can't trust the privilege team because one member of the privilege team works in the same Department of Justice unit as Jay Bratt, who is the head of counterintelligence the, uh, over at the Department of Justice. Um, and I, I, I'm certain that there's a lot of people that work for Jay Bratt because he's the head. And the reason he's there is because only he can look at these things because he has the clearance. And probably this this privilege t- team, this filter team guy, is also probably one of the other only guys in the in the department that has the kind of clearance necessary to go through this stuff. So he, he brings up this conflict of interest. Can you believe it? Can you believe this filter team guy works for the guy who works as a head of this, you know, you know, counterintelligence department, head of espionage at the Department of Justice? And then in the same breath nominates himself to be the fucking <laughs> special master. It, it Again, that would be comical if they were not serious. I, it, I, I don't think you need my lawyer expertise to say, uh, hey, uh, how about uh, this imaginary conflict that, you know, you'd have to squint and be paranoid and think that Hillary Clinton rapes babies in the basement of a pizza parlor that doesn't have a basement in order to begin to find a or But, you know, I could just do it on behalf of my client. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that like because that wouldn't be a conflict of interest at all. But I'm sure Donald was like, "Look, I want you to do it. I want you to be the special master." And he's like, "Dude, I can't fucking do that." And he's like, "You better, or you're fired." And he's like, "Fuck. <laughs> all right." I mean, it just seems like most of this filing is a hostage video, I, you know. It, that that is right, and it is. I have called out. It's about time for me to recirculate. Uh, Jim Trusty and his firm uh, on social media because look what they're doing here is gross. Okay, it's so gross. This is a respected white collar criminal defense boutique firm in Washington D.C. They have zero mentions of representing Donald Trump in this case. They have not talked about it. the The last mention on their website of Donald Trump is 2019 in an unrelated context. Now, if I represented the president of the United States, like lawyers typically brag about their big clients <laughs> when they come through unless mm. you're representing someone you know to be toxic in a case that you know to be frivolous and that's what they're doing and they're trying to get away yeah. with having their dc cocktail party clients uh and disguising hiding not owning up to the fact that they represent the criminal insurrectionist former president of the united states in the dumbest least good faith filing I have ever seen Uh, and people should call them out for it and clients should boycott and look like we saw that worked I mean right like one of the reasons that Donald Trump has to go to the bottom of the barrel here uh, is because every major law firm has said yeah we're not touching these we are touching the election cases we're not touching big lie cases 
Um, it's too toxic. You can make this too toxic for firms to take and, and you should. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, we'll and again, it, we'll remember, this is a civil case. I'm not saying when Donald Trump is arrested. Great. When he is indicted. Fantastic. He can have the best public defender that money can't buy. OK, uh, I'm not saying he doesn't get a, a lawyer when his liberty is on the line. But when what's on the line is how can I best obstruct the ongoing investigation that will result in my indictment? No. Yeah. So let's let's talk about executive privilege because she <laughs> she she touches on that and then i want to talk about the injunction and then we'll we'll wrap this up right. uh for her her <laughs> her arguments as to why an injunction is necessary which also are uh complete bullshit but we'll, t- let's talk about executive privilege and you and i know this we've talked about this multiple times on our individual shows on on uh, opening arguments and in, in the daily beans pod they they there is no executive privilege for when shit goes from the executive to the executive. A lot of people bring up Nixon, but that was when shit was supposed to go from the executive to Congress. And so talk a little bit about her her, her arguments as to why executive privilege even exists and that it's something that a special master can look at. Yeah. And and. This is another case that predates the Presidential Records Act, but, th- but there's another Nixon case, right, that is 100% controlling with respect to this. It is Nixon versus Administrator of General Services, 433 U.S. 425 from 1977. And this was after Nixon had resigned, he then had a depository agreement with the Administrator of General Services that provided for the storage of 42 million pages of documents near Nixon's home in California. Okay. And this case is the final word. It is the landmark case on what constitutes executive privilege. And I'm going to quote directly from page 449, quote, the executive privilege is just that a privilege held by the executive branch, not for the benefit of the president as an individual, but for the benefit of the republic. So what that means is executive privileges transfers from the former guy to the next guy when you leave office. Are there some indicia or shadow or things that could hang over uh, in such a way as to want to further that privilege? Yeah, like right, like that. That there there are some edge cases, but those edge cases are determined in the face of how does this protect the current executive branch? There is zero case law to the contrary, and there is firm, I just read it to you, that says the privilege belongs to the executive branch. That would be like my associate Morgan Stringer suing me for sending an email saying you can't send out attorney-client privileged information. And I would be like, we work for the same firm, Morgan. She would never make that mistake because she is not an idiot. So, um, th- this, the, the, the efforts here to distinguish Nixon made by judge Cannon, this is page 17 of her order are laughable. She goes through and says, well, you know, uh, it says, uh, that the expectation of confidentiality erodes over time. The incumbent president quote is in the best position to assess the present and future needs of the executive branch end of quote for, for purposes of asserting executive privilege and then says, but you know, the Supreme court did not rule out the possibility of a former president overcoming an incumbent president on executive privilege matters. 
I, they didn't rule out the possibility of my getting elected president of Earth, but like that those things are not going to happen. Like this is not the 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 Supreme Court in 1977 failed to anticipate that we would have a criminally insane game show host who would try and steal nuclear secrets. I, 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 yes. Yes, they did. I wish they hadn't, but they did. That's not the standard that you use. You look at the case. You can't assert executive privilege against the executive branch. It's bonkers. Yeah. No. It, and and that's been well, well, well argued. And that and her. I don't know. That pushback is just the, the seriously. It, it, I do not understand it. Now, for the injunction, she actually <sighs> states that she thinks Donald meets all those factors that you need to. Get just, an despite not to be alleging. Weighed. That, even that though there they, is irreparable harm, even though they didn't argue any of them. And in fact, not only not alleging, saying that there isn't irreparable harm. First, yeah. she says, and this is to me the worst part. When you say we haven't gotten to the worst part yet, this is the worst part. She says he's likely to succeed, he, that he's likely to succeed on the merits. No, he is not. <laughs> how is that? How? Talk about does she, talk about her explanation for why he's likely to succeed on the merits. Was was there an explanation? I'm sorry, like my uh, my no. brain was deprived of oxygen by this point in in reading it. Did the, the, she's no, there reciting... wasn't. It was a trick question. It's a okay. bullshit question. Nobody could answer that question. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it 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 is those. She is reciting like a good law student would the elements of what you need in order to award injunctive relief. But I, I cannot stress this highly enough. I have never gotten an injunction on the basis of attorney argument. You don't get it. You have to put forward specific evidence supported by affidavit under the penalty of perjury that I swear the following, the foregoing is true as to what the injury is and why it is irreparable. Well, maybe Here, that's why maybe that's why Jim Trustee's firm is like cool with this. They can actually put on their uh, score sheet now that they have gotten an injunction with <laughs> with the argument. Sure. I yeah. mean, it, it's the most ridiculous thing. And then, I mean, the DOJ made a really, really good argument that, you you know, you can't you can't really prove irreparable harm when you waited two weeks to make a filing. <sighs> now, she says this is great. She <laughs> I'm let me I'll paraphrase and then I'll tell you what she actually said. She said, sure, he waited too long, but whatever. So here's here's what she actually said. While plaintiff perhaps did not act as promptly as he could have, the two week delay does not now preclude plaintiff from seeking or being entitled to injunctive relief. Tell me why that's wrong. It so <laughs> what the court does, she here, brings up other cases where yeah. it's taken longer. She she cherry picks a case from the Second Circuit. Uh, in fact, they're all cases from the Second Circuit. And 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 I, I just point that out that like that's not the circuit that sits above her courtroom. So these are that is not binding law in her court. These are just persuasive like, yeah, you know, here are some examples of cases and like, sure, you can find examples of cases in which it has taken weeks for people to realize that something is going on. Um, there, uh, another situation which uh, often results in delay is, you know, somebody has your stuff like they have your top secret client co contact list and you call them up and you try and negotiate for the return of that. Right. Like, you know, particularly small scale litigants. You're like, hey, man, why don't you give that back? Well, I'll give it back under these. Right. Like and you go back and, forth, and then after two weeks or so, you're like, OK, 
you still haven't given it back that yet, though. And then you're like, well, you know, you're going to have to sue me in court and you go into court. So I wouldn't want a per se rule. Right. That says, yeah, up two weeks and you're out. Right. Because I, I, I agree in the abstract that it is not the situation that says, um, you know, we want to draw a hard and fast uh, time here. But, but there's no the court- way he's going to win on the merits. He doesn't have any irreparable harm. <laughs> well, and, and then she actually decides that the public interest weighs in favor of Donald's sadness. That's uh, that is that is dumb. But that's a that's such a non factor in the evaluation. I, I, I just want to not pause too lightly over this. Donald Trump's behavior in connection with the search, right, namely to complain about it on social media and his little truth dot fart whatever website that he's on like but then not file anything in court for two weeks is a strong inference and any court in america would say uh, yeah okay like you whined about this but that you you recognized uh that there was not an immediacy here because the only kind of thing that could constitute irreparable harm is People have looked at that stuff and you haven't stopped them from looking at the stuff that and search has been an, done. That's not an argument that Jim Trusty made. He made no. no argument for irreparable harm. So she created one that doesn't even make any sense. Correct. OK, just checking. Uh, and she uh, again, the public interest thing made me laugh. Um, yeah, <laughs> because, you know, the public interest is actually, I think, weighs in favor of uh, cr- continuing the criminal investigation, not uh, Donald's you know feelings that the fbi is against him yeah I, this is there is no public interest validated by slowing down the process and 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 the way in which we know that is because this is a private litigant who claims that he wants stuff privately returned to him so yeah. you know yeah. Now, a question about the final order, um, sure. because she, I, I waited, I read the whole thing and I was waiting for her to explain how she could have a special master review anything that was taken, but not impede the ODNI national security risk assessment. She doesn't say how that would be done. And it can't be done. I, okay, it, just it, checking. It, I, it, I thought so. But like, what the fuck? Here's, you know, because I was I was hoping or not hoping, but thinking what she would do is to say, OK, special master over the privilege stuff that the privilege team took out. But she didn't do that. She said special master for everything, didn't she? So <laughs> here's what here's what the. Yes. So here's what the order says. I will appoint a special master. The parties are uh, instructed to meet and confer and submit a joint status report by Friday. So we will be on the lookout for that. Um this is the only thing that I think is remotely enforceable at this point in time. The, this is paragraph two. The government is temporarily enjoined from further review and use of any of the materials seized from plaintiff's residence on August 8th, 2022. Okay. That, that, that means everything prior to that, they can still continue to use, right? For criminal investigative purposes. Like all of the shit they found in the January boxes, right? right? Yep. And all of the shit that they got in June. Right. Which, by the way, we now know from this filing was one manila envelope, right? Yeah. Was a couple hundred pages double sealed in tape, right? Um, So they can use all of that, but they cannot use the materials seized for criminal investigative purposes, okay, pending resolution of the special master's review process as determined by this court. The but government isn't the isn't and I'm sorry to interrupt, but isn't 
One of the arguments uh, that there's no executive privilege here is that these the incumbent president who determines executive privilege has, has decided that he needs these documents. The, the executive branch needs these documents for two essential purposes, to conduct a criminal investigation and a national security review. I mean, yes. isn't that part of the whole executive privilege argument? Yeah, yeah, that is correct. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So... They may not that that is what they are prohibited from doing. That is the only thing about this that matters, which is you cannot use those documents to turn around and either get a grand jury indictment or further search warrants. OK. Um, what it then what you can do, the government may continue to review and use the materials seized for purposes of intelligence classification and national security assessments. Now, what that doesn't say is suppose the national security and intelligence assessment is holy crap, this endangered national security in these five ways. And, you know, this is criminal behavior, whether they could then open a separate criminal investigation into that conduct. Not clear from this order. If I were the government, I certainly would advise Judge Cannon as much as I would hate having to do so uh, before opening that investigation. But that's not clear. Right. Like that's sort of left out there. But but the bigger part is this is not maybe this judge like lacks object permanence. I don't know. But like these (laughs) are physical things. Isn't quite attached yet. Could be. These are physical documents. They're not scanned. So when it says the government may continue to review, meaning the ODNI review, um, how can your special master review a thing that the government is already reviewing? Right. I, I that's the, the object can't be in two places at once. The object can only be in that. one place. Not explained at all. It's bonkers. I, I'm assuming that there will probably end up having to be some uh, maybe if the DOJ files an appeal that they would ask for clarification in these matters or, or what what is that filing called when you ask for is a bill of particulars like what is it but that's a criminal thing what is it when the DOJ is like what the fuck do you mean lady when <laughs> when does that happen does it happen in an appeal at the same time because I'm assuming they'll appeal at least part of this yeah it, it there are two questions there so let's answer both of them I would be shocked if the DOJ does not appeal this. Uh, as we are recording on Monday, the 11th Circuit is also a conservative circuit, a very, very conservative circuit. Um, and uh, I need to also tell you that the standard uh, of review in terms of second guessing whether a judge was entitled to award uh, injunctive relief and here a uh, equitable relief appointing a special master is abusive discretion. It's a very, very high standard. This opinion, in my view, meets that, right? Like you you have a very good argument that like, look, this weirdo doesn't even know what the hell the law is. So um, fix that and tell this court to stop doing stupid stuff. Um, there, there, there is a potential that the DOJ may win that appeal even in a very conservative 11th Circuit. I suspect if they do from a panel of the 11th Circuit, that that will then immediately be taken up on bonk uh, by the full 11th Circuit and who knows, you know, may go up to the Supreme Court. Um, it, 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 it is tempting to say, and probably the majority outcome is, you know, 
there are enough Trumpers that they're going to get through this. And the law is such that, you know, you defer to trial court judges. Uh, but this is so bad and so egregious that I don't I don't want to say that there is no chance of prevailing even in a conservative circuit and even up to a conservative Supreme Court. So, yeah, number one, 11th, that's the appeal. Yeah. 11th Circuit, by the way, seven conservative judges, six of which were appointed by Trump and uh, one, two, three, four quote unquote, liberal judges. Yeah. Um, that's Obama and Clinton appointees. There's no Biden appointees here. Yeah. Uh, a tough, tough place to litigate. And they will be drawing a three judge panel. So a uh, tough place to litigate in front of. But um, it, I would it, love it if they got all three Obama judges. That'd be great. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you roll triple sixes in Yahtzee. So um, <laughs> it, yeah, justice the hard way. Come on. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I will go to the pass line for that. Um Good then, call. Good thank call. you. Um, then the second question you asked was, could you go back to the court for clarification? I suspect that that will happen uh, in the Friday meet and confer, right, which is designed to set out, you know, who are the potential candidates that they're not going to agree on that. Um, and, uh, you submit a detailed order for what they can do outlining the special master's duties and limitations consistent with this order. Ex parte communication abilities. Again, remember Trump requested, I get to talk to them all the time and nobody can say anything about it. Uh, schedule for review and compensation. Um, Beyond bizarre, our our friends. I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I I'm 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 interested to know who you think the Trump team is going to put forward as recommendations for special master. I think it's going to be there. I think they're going to. I think they're honestly going to nominate. I guess uh, Jim Trusty, maybe Rick Grinnell, uh, maybe maybe Ratcliffe, uh, perhaps Trump's sister. She's a retired judge. <laughs> uh, it, it it you at this point right like the this legal filing is uh you know the 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 heart's equivalent of shooting the moon right like you you might as well continue you've you've litigated to date entirely wrong it it is you know what this is it is the opposite of george filing right like it is just you did everything the opposite of all com all instincts towards good judgment and common sense and everything came up roses anyway. So, you know, why not? What the hell? Why not? Uh, let's let's put, you know, Trump's sister on there. And I, Sarah Palin's not doing anything after she lost uh, uh, in Alaska. Newt, like, Newt Gingrich. Uh, sure. Who, yeah. who who knows or cares? I will point out our friends over in the National Security Counselors. Uh, submitted uh, a roster of uh, potential uh, special masters, you know, folks with the clearance and the expertise in this area uh, that uh, we we uh, jokingly called a, uh, a, a you know, a, a filing an ad with the court. Um, I would be willing to serve a special master. Um, I'd have to, you know, get those uh, top secret clearances, but I'm sure they could, you know, put me on the Jared Kushner expedited path right away. Yeah, I'll do it. I had I had yeah. top secret clearance. There you go. I but, don't anymore, but neither does Jim Trusty. Yeah. They'll <laughs> so. reinstate it. He said he said in the hearing, yeah, I could get that back in a couple of weeks. So there yeah, you go. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So AG for special master. We'll see how that works out. I like it. I like it. I got my I'll get my, <sighs> whip, my whip ready. Uh, all right, that's the that's the filing. Uh, that's the ruling, and uh, I appreciate you uh, answering my questions about it because I, I was very confused, and uh, turns out I had every right to be. Your confusion was well founded. 
<laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, and thank you, everyone, for listening. And thanks to our patrons for your support. Um, we really appreciate that. Uh, and as soon as, you know, uh, the more info comes out on this, we'll be covering it on our respective shows, Opening Arguments and The Daily Beans. And, uh, of course, we'll probably cover it uh, more in depth here next week. Who knows what could happen this week? Uh, we will see. Uh, <laughs> I'm still quite taken aback. And I'm also glad to see other people like Steve Vladek, one of the top con law uh, professors in, in the country, is is also very confused is not the right word, but uh, upset. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the right adjective is uh baffled by this by this ruling so um it's uh, you know i guess we could i guess we could spend another hour just <laughs> bitching about it but uh it is what it is and and we'll see how we see we'll see where it goes from here i i hear you couldn't couldn't have said it better myself this is uh baffling frustrated ang frustrating angrifying you know there um, there are other words and uh, we swear on this show so I suppose I could use them but um, mm -hmm. uh, no this is the, but 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 again let's let's go back right I feel again like the 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 admonition from the Simpsons right like he's evil but he'll die soon uh, about Monty Brown right like look this is bad but it's just not this will not derail uh, an investigation and indictment of Donald Trump. And, and that's why I think the DOJ does need to appeal. Um, agreed. Uh, but just so that we don't set any kind of idiot precedent here that could be used in the future. Agreed. All right, cool. Thank you so much, Andrew Torres. I've been Allison Gill. I'm Andrew Torres, and this is Clean Up on Aisle 45. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill and Andrew Torres with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>